Hebrews chapter 1, let's stand for the reading of God's uh, Word, verse 4, and we'll read down uh, a little ways here. It says, being made, speaking of Jesus here, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. We'll pause the reading there. We'll study down through verse 14 tonight. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the angels. Let's pray. Tonight, Lord, as we look at this, um, I pray you give us clarity of mind and heart. And Lord, help us to leave here better understanding your word. And Lord, as I prayed earlier with a few of the men, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more exposure we have to your word, the better we understand it, the deeper our faith grows. So amongst other things tonight, Lord, I pray that our faith would be made greater and broader and deeper as we learn to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, one thing I love about the book of Hebrews is it just makes a big deal out of the hero of the Bible. We're going to see that for several months as we go through this. And I love uh, John where Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And so Hebrews lifts up Jesus high. Now, there's a lot of folks that want to lift up a whole bunch of other Bible characters uh, or Bible ideas. I'll call them secondary or ancillary players in the Bible and try to turn them into the primary role. Uh, the Catholic Church will do this with the Virgin Mary. Uh, Mary was a great woman. She was a phenomenal woman. But Mary was a sinner. Make no question about it. And that, that, that's like fingers on, the, on a chalkboard to a lot of people, especially that live around here. Someone online is leaving nasty comments on our, our uh, live stream right now. As I said, Mary was a sinner. No, we're in the clear. Okay, no Catholics watching right now, or at least none that know how to type and give feedback. But uh, that, they have a hard time with that. But Mary said in Luke, in Luke, she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord my Savior. So she needed a Savior, and if she was perfect, she wouldn't have needed a Savior. So Mary self-identified as needing a Savior. Uh, but uh, uh, the prophets were held high. And uh, the Pharisees tried to claim that they were from the prophets. And Jesus said, No, you were from those that persecuted the prophets. But the prophets were worshipped. Uh, the angels, well look at this tonight, the angels were worshipped. Do you know the angels are still worshipped today? You know, people still do that? Um, be careful about that. Uh, now listen, at, at Christmas time, we'll have some angels up in our house, but we're not bowing down to them. And we understand the, the role the angels played in the Bible, and they play in the grand scheme of things. We're going to be looking at that tonight. We're going to get into a lot of what I'll call... Angelology this evening. Angelology is the study of the doctrine of angels. The reason why we're going to do that is because um, uh, Jesus is compared up against the angels. Now, why was Jesus compared up against the angels? Remember, you've got to go back and get historical context for why this book was written. This book was written to Hebrew Christians. 
that understood the Old Testament and they understood uh, the New Testament covenant, the mystery of the gospel had been revealed. However, there was still some coming around uh, understanding this clear doctrine. And so Hebrews was written to provide that clarity and to show that, yes, you all have made a big deal of the prophets. And yes, angels have been a big part of your religious history. And they have been, uh, there, there has been an awe toward angels. And there has been even a desire at times to bow down and worship angels. And, uh, but, but make no mistake about it, while angels may be above humans, they're not above the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, that is made crystal clear in these pages uh, or in in this passage here to make sure that Jesus is held and esteemed higher. Let's jump into the outline tonight. I got two main points, several sub points, and I could stretch this out to take weeks, but we're going to try to get through this whole thing in one shot here. Number one, notice the angelic messengers, the angelic messengers. Look at verse number four with me. Being made so much better than the angels. You see that word angels there? That word angel means a messenger sent from God. That's what it means. It means a messenger. The angelic messengers. Being Jesus is so much better. I love the uh, language of the King James Bible. In my Bible, right here in front of me, I have so much better circled. He's so much, he's not better. He's not just better. He's not just a little bit better. He doesn't just barely eke it out. He's so much better than the angels. And we're going to see tonight how good the angels are. In fact, um, we're told that man is made a little below the angels in Psalm 8. So you've got God right now, you've got the angels, and angels right now in the pecking order are above us. Then you have man, then you have the animals. One day the angels will stand in all of us as we sing praises to God about our redemption that they won't be able to understand. But the angelic messengers, Jesus is so much better than the angels. Let's give you an A, B, C, and a D here uh, on the outline. Notice letter A, their witness. Their witness. What were the roles of the angels? Well, one of them was to take the message that God had and deliver it to man, to be a witness to man of what God wanted represented. Look down to verse number 14. It says, "Are they speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Who are they supposed to minister to? Those that are going to be heirs of salvation. Those humans that are going to be heirs of salvation, their job is to minister to them. So, their witness. Let me give you some examples tonight of folks that angels have communicated with in the Bible and folks that angels will still one day communicate with um, uh, found in the Bible. So, the first example, and by the way, I only put down a handful. We could be here for weeks just looking at all the times angels came down and talked to, to mankind. So, I didn't get them all in here, but I wrote down a few examples. How about Lot? How about Lot? You know, uh, uh, there was a what we'll call a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ, where he came down and saw Abraham, and there were a couple of other angels with him. And you remember, they were sitting out there eating, and Sarah was behind the door. You know the story, right? And he said, when, you're, when Sarah has a baby, and Sarah laughs inside of herself, and she says, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Well, the angel knew that she had laughed, because the angel was Jesus. And so two angels were later sent from 
uh, from that gathering, uh, Jesus, Old Testament appearance of, of Christ, um, and those two angels with him, they walked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the two angels were sent in to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what was the message they delivered a lot? Get your family and leave. Destruction is coming. And we can't destroy this place till you're gone. We looked at this a few weeks back on a Sunday evening, but they laid hands on um, Lot and they drug him and his wife out. They were God's messengers. They were witnessing, they were uh, representing to uh, Lot and his family in Genesis 19 exactly that, that they needed to leave. All right, How about Samson's parents? Manoah, I believe, was Samson's father's name. I don't remember the mother's name off the top of my head. Is it mentioned in Scripture? It's in uh, Judges chapter 13. I could, have, I could have also given Gideon. We know the story about Gideon. But I believe that the, the, the angel that met up with Gideon in Judges 6 was probably Jesus. But Judges 13 was an angel and uh, met up with Samson's parents and frightened them, scared them to death. You ever been scared by somebody coming around the corner or coming out of the bathroom? My kids are in this mode of trying to scare me right now. They got, they, they, everywhere I go, they try to scare me. I come out of the room and boo! And it doesn't work because they try to scare me all day every day. So, you know, I'm always got my guard up. If they just let it chill for a few days and tried, it would work. But these, these, these adults, Manoah and his wife, were scared senseless. I don't know what happened. I don't know where they were, but they turn around and there's this angel standing there. Oh! Now, when you saw an angel, it kind of frightened you because you know about the angel of death. In Exodus, that went around and killed all those that didn't have the blood on the on the doorpost. So there was this thought that if you saw an angel, he could kill you. He could kill you. So when they saw the angel, they were scared and they fell down on their face and were frightened. And he said, listen, you don't need to be afraid. I'm just here to tell you that you're going to have a baby. And that that baby is going to be a very special person. And uh, he's going to need to be a Nazarene and not don't cut his hair. He doesn't need to touch anything dead. He doesn't need to uh, drink anything from a vine. And you need to make sure that um, uh, he's kept holy because God's got a specific purpose for him. What was the angel's job? He took the message from God and he accurately delivered it to the folks, uh, to the people that he was told to deliver it to. You can't put too much of an emphasis on a good messenger. How many understand this? If you don't put the emphasis on the right place, the whole message can be destroyed. If I get up and I try to teach this, or I get up on a Sunday and preach, and maybe I'm preaching the right topic, but I'm not putting the emphasis where God wants me to put the emphasis, the whole message that God wanted me to convey that day could totally be messed up. Conveying the right message and conveying it the right way is so important. And the angels were given the job of taking the message from the throne room of heaven and delivering it down to man. Uh, Here's some other examples. I think maybe the most prominent one, and again, I'm skipping a lot of other examples, but Mary and Joseph. You remember that one, right? Mary turns around in the kitchen and there's an angel standing there floating. I don't know if that happened or not, but there's an angel there. And um, um, uh, the angel said, hey, Mary, don't be afraid. You're, you're going to become with child, and, and that child's going to be the Messiah. And what a great thing. Joseph didn't believe her, and God had to knock Joseph over the head and dream and say, she's telling you the truth, buddy. She, she's not lying to you. Uh, that's the truth. And so uh, the angels delivered that message. Uh, here's a couple of others. All right, In uh, Revelation chapter 1, we see that John the Revelator meets up with an angel or I don't know if it was Revelation, yeah, Revelation 1, and the angel walks him around and delivers to him the end-time events. All right? So it was an angel that delivered that message. 
Um, one last one. I want us to turn over to this one. Revelation 14, verse 6. This one, to me, is super, super fascinating. Revelation 14, 6. During the tribulation, uh, God is going to send his angel down, and he's going to write in the sky. He's going to write in the sky. Look at Revelation 14, 6. So the, 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 the delivering of messages is, I believe, currently on pause. I don't believe message. Uh, I've never had an angel appear to me and give me a message. How about you, Brother Mark? You've been saved almost 40 years. Never happened. If someone tells you they got angels coming and talking to them, you probably need to back away real fast. Now that, God doesn't work that way right now. God speaks to us through His Word. That's the only way God speaks to us right now is through His Word. But there will be a day, once the church has been raptured and all that takes place, where God will again send His angel and He will communicate with mankind. Look at Revelation 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them. God. He's going to be delivering the message of, of salvation uh, to the world. And if you read on down, you find that uh, the majority of folks neglect that. But what is the job of the angelic messengers? Well, it's to share what they're told to share and to be a witness. No, letter B, notice their worship. Their worship. So their witnesses, uh, their witness, notice their worship. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 1. Look at verse number 6. It says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus is so much better than the angels. Well, how do we know that? Well, the angels... Jesus didn't worship the angels. When Jesus was born, the angels came and worshipped him. They came and worshipped Him. That's what the angels do. They worship. They worship. Now, we all know that instance, right? Right? You find that in Luke, where uh, the angels came and worshipped Jesus. Uh, Luke 2, I thought I had that here in my notes. I don't see it. But Luke 2, I think it's verse 8 down through verse 14. Uh, the angel appeared in the sky and told the shepherds, go and worship and glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Uh, how about Isaiah 6? Turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. One of the reasons why I love the book of Hebrews is because it takes the Old Testament and it, and it intertwines it with New Testament truth. And so we're going to be flipping back into the Old Testament a lot in this Bible study. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and look at verse number 1. I want you to, when I give you a passage, I'd really like everyone to turn over there. So you can see it with your own two eyes. Isaiah 6, verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. 
Above it stood, and this is an angel, the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here you have angels flying around heaven, made for the purpose of worshiping God. If you think that angels aren't a huge part of worship, consider the fact that in the temple, seraphims that had a wingspan that were huge were engraved in gold above where the Ark of the Covenant went in the Holy of Holies. I'd say that angels play a major part, uh, have a major role in worshiping God. Their witness, what angels do, their worship. Letter C, notice their work, their work. Go back to Hebrews 1 and look at verse number 14 with me. Hebrews 1 and verse number 14. It says there, are they not all ministering spirits? Well, they're spirits that were created to minister. Sent forth to minister or to work. You know what it means to be a minister? doesn't mean you take a check from a church and get up and preach three times a week. Being a minister means you're a slave. You're a servant. It means you work. You get down and you do the nitty gritty. You do things that nobody else wants to do. You're a minister or a slave. That's what the angels are. They were created to work. Turn over to Psalm 103 and verse number 20. Psalm 103, 20. I'm going to begin reading for sake of time. We're going to read down through verse 21. It says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Verse 21, Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, speaking of the angels, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. They were created to work. So they were created to witness, to worship, to work, and letter D, and this is for all of the men in the room especially, notice their war. Their war. They were created, at least the archangels were created for war. Turn over to Daniel chapter 10, verse number 13. Daniel 10. Now I'm going to give you a little nugget of truth here you can take home with you and, and, uh, and carry with you and apply to your life uh, here. Daniel chapter 10. Here we have Daniel in a time of fasting and prayer. And he's trying to get his prayer uh, through to heaven, and, and, and there's an answer from heaven trying to make its way back to Daniel, and God sends an angel to carry the answer to his prayer back to him. Look at verse number 13. Well, let's back up a little bit. Look at verse number 12. Then said he unto me, let's back up one more verse, verse number 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, um, o Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken his words unto me, I stood trembling. Then said, said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, uh, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, heard and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, 
came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, I don't have time to get into explaining all this passage, but God had sent an angel who is a messenger to take Daniel's answered prayer to him and deliver it, and the king of Persia, or Satan, opposed this angel and wouldn't let him through. And God had to go get Michael the archangel to come and fight the king of Persia in order to clear the way, the spiritual way, so this angel could make its way to Daniel and give Daniel the answer. You say, oh, pastor, that's the Old Testament. Well, turn over to Jude chapter number 1. Jude chapter 1, and we find, again, Michael, uh, the archangel, in a spiritual battle. Look at Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, but look at verse number 9. It says, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending or fighting with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So Michael is sparring with going toe to toe with Satan himself. Um, we know the Bible says that we, we have a spiritual warfare going on around us and that there's a battle going on between the principalities and powers of darkness. Well, who is fighting against the principalities and the powers of darkness? Well, in part, it's God's angels who were created for spiritual warfare. So, uh, you can you begin... Okay, so let me just stop and say this right here. Can you begin to see that as people understand what angels did, as people began to brag about uh, having seen an angel and records begin to be written about interaction with angels, can you begin to see how angels would have been elevated or exalted or even on some level worshipped? You may remember John falls down and tries to worship the angel that's showing him around heaven. What's the angel say? Whoa, 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 stand up! Don't worship me, I'm not worthy of worship. And there are other examples in the Bible where folks tried to worship an angel... And the angel immediately says, no, don't worship me. I'm not the one to be worshipped. But within the realm of Judaism in that day, there was some level of worshipping angels. And so, now that you understand the background as to the historical context of why angel worship would have been a thing, uh, let's look at number two, the anointed Messiah. Uh, Jesus is better than the prophets, we learn in the first four, for, for, rather, first three verses. Now, he's gonna lay out as to why Jesus is better than the angels. Uh, look with me at verse number nine. Uh, and notice there it says, notice there it says, Thou hast, speaking of Jesus, loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Above thy fellows. Notice that phrase, the oil of gladness. So he has been anointed with the oil of gladness. And when I read a phrase like that, oil of gladness, I think, what in the world is that talking about? You know what? I love reading things like that because it means I get to chase uh, down a truth and, and get to dig and find something really interesting. Turn over to Psalm 45 and verse number 7. Psalm 45 and verse 7. That phrase, oil of gladness, comes straight out of the book of Psalm from a messianic psalm. I'll give you a minute to get there because I want you to see it. 
Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Oh, wasn't that what they said about Jesus in Hebrews 1? That he loved righteousness and hated iniquity? Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. When David penned that, he had no idea who he was even talking about. But God knew that he, he told David, just write it down, write it down. Because here you have uh, a speaking of the oil of gladness. So how was Jesus anointed? Turn over to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Again, Isaiah here, writing a messianic prophecy, doesn't know what he's writing, thinks he's talking about himself, but uh, he's not. Or at least not, there may have been a double meeting here. Look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God, Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. Notice that word anointed. The Spirit of the Lord. Let me pause just a moment here. Anytime you see oil in the Bible, generally it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Alright? You see the capital S in Spirit, the S in Spirit is capitalized. Because the Lord hath anointed me, what? To preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. Oh, we could spend a whole lot of time here. You know what Jesus did? You know what his first act was when he got back from uh, the, uh, uh, the wilderness? He walked into a synagogue. And he picked up a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he read Isaiah 61.1 from our Bibles, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord hath anointed me, and read that. You know why? Because he had been anointed with the oil of gladness, the anointed Messiah. Let me give you some thoughts here from Hebrews 1 about how Jesus, the anointed Messiah, is above or better than the angels. Letter A, notice, his position Above the angels. His position above the angels. Look at verse number 4. Hebrews 1 verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, fascinating. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, look back up at verse number, let's see, verse number, uh, I believe it's verse 2. Yeah, look at verse 2. Uh, and notice there it says, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Verse 4 says, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In just three verses, we see that Jesus is the heir of all things and that he has obtained a more excellent name than they uh, because of his inheritance. Jesus being God, uh, the express image of God, the brightness of God, uh, what is his inheritance? His inheritance is a lot of things, but in part it's that he has a name that's more excellent than they. Look over with me, if you would, at, um, and so below his position above the, uh, above the angels, notice his inheritance. His inheritance. And what is that inheritance? It's a name that is spotless. It's a name that is wonderful. What a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Reaching higher far than the brightest star. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19, verse number 12. Speaking of this name that Jesus gets because he's attached to God the Father. Revelation chapter 19, 
Verse 12 says, speaking of Jesus, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Boy, I can't wait to see this. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Jesus' name is so powerful and special that only he knows that name. How many of you here have a name or, or had a name that your mom would call you? And that was sort of an inside thing, just between you and your mom. No one else really knew what that meant but you and your mom or you and your dad. Jesus has a name that's so intimate and personal that only God the Father and God the Son know what that name is. And it's powerful, his inheritance. Notice next, his integrity. His integrity. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9. I hope you're not um, feeling discombobulated with having me have you turn so many places so fast. All right, Hebrews 1, look at verse number 9. Thou hast, notice the integrity here. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even as, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. What separates Jesus, what sets him above everything else, everyone else? You know what it is? Hebrews 1.9 explains. It's how much, please don't miss this. It's how much he hates iniquity and how much he loves righteousness. Because he has such a strong hatred for iniquity. And because he has such a strong love for righteousness, he qualifies to be above the angels. He qualifies to have his enemies put under his footstool. Why is Jesus positioned above the angels, the prophets, humans, uh, uh, Satan, uh, the principalities of darkness of this world? Why is it that he sits at the right hand of the Father? Why is this position above the angels? Verse 9 says, it's because he loves righteousness and he hates iniquity. i got to tell you, we've been called to be like Christ. It's our job to love righteousness and hate iniquity. Do you hate the iniquity that's in you? Boy, I sure hate the iniquity that's in me. I'll, I'll mess up, I'll sin, I'll do wrong. And I'll fall on my knees in, in a moment of contrition and ask God to forgive me. Jesus hates it. In part, Jesus hates it because it nailed him to the cross. But you know, he bore that voluntarily. Let's move on. Letter B. Notice his praise by the angels. His praise by the angels. We made reference to the worship earlier. But uh, let's look at it again. Verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the firstborn into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. For those that want to put some sort of saint, I think this appropriately fits here. To anyone that's still holding on to their Catholic roots, we have some folks that go here that are still fond of the Catholic Church. I don't know that any of them are here tonight. Um, part of what makes the Catholic Church so dangerous is the way they take good people and turn them into a holy person that's to be worshipped. Peter was a really good guy. But God does not want you to worship Peter. Jude. Jude is the brother of Christ. Did a lot of good stuff. God does not want you to turn him into a saint and worship him. He doesn't want you to put a statue up to him and worship him. Jesus is so far above the saints, 
the martyrs, Mary, the angels. And God is trying to make the point here, worship Jesus alone. All of these folks, all of these camps, they didn't, Jesus didn't come to earth and worship them. They worshiped Him. Luke 2. Turn over there. Luke 2, 8 through 14. I knew I had it somewhere in my notes. Just a little further down than I'd remembered. Luke 2, 8 through 14. Here Jesus has been born in a stable. And Jesus didn't, uh, didn't come out of the womb and start worshiping the angels. No, the angels started worshiping Him. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. Verse 8, Luke 2, 8. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they, the angels, were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. You see them worshiping and witnessing. They're given the, the word and they're worshiping all at the same time. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. So we see the praise by the angels. Jesus is in heaven right now, seated on his throne as the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. And you know what the angels in heaven are doing? They're worshiping Him because He's worthy. Letter C. Notice His permanence above the angels. His permanence above the angels. This isn't just a temporary thing. This is a permanent thing. Jesus, um, uh, some have said, well, Jesus was above, and then He left heaven and came to earth, and then He was below, and then He ascended back above. No, Jesus was always above. Always above. You say, well, what about when He became sin? He was still above. Uh, because he was taking on sin that he didn't commit, allowing it to kill him, and then standing up from the grave and saying, I'm even more powerful than all of the sin of the world laid on me at once. Look at verse number 5. It says, Therefore, unto which of the angels said he, this is God, said he at any time, Thou art my son. When did Jesus look at an angel and say, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? When did that happen? That never happened. Look, continue to read, and, uh, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When did that happen? That didn't happen. Look, uh, uh, turn over to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, and we'll see where those verses, or uh, Hebrews 1.6 is a combination, or rather Hebrews 1.7 is a combination of two verses in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalm. Turn to Psalm chapter 2 verse 7, and we get almost that identical phrase in Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 7. Again, David has no idea what he's writing. But God does. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. What? Why? That's exactly what Hebrews 1, six says. Turn over to Psalm chapter uh, uh, 89 verse 26. Psalm chapter 89 verse 26. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. 
Now go back and look at Hebrews 1.7 again. Or rather verse 5. Look back at verse 5. For unto which of the angels saith at any time, Thou art my son. Well, Psalm 2.7, Jesus was called that. And again, I will, uh, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So, Jesus is permanence above uh, the angels. It, it will never, ever, ever stop. He will always be in position above the angels. Let's uh, quickly move through the last two here and, and finish up. Letter D, notice his power over the angels. His power over the angels. Look at verse number 10. By the way, if you're ever looking for a verse that proves the deity of Christ, this is a great one. Look at verse 10. And thou, Lord, I want to stop uh, the reading here. Look at how Lord is spelled. This is very important. Now, in the, in the New Testament, specifically in the New Testament, I, I believe throughout the Bible, but uh, in the New Testament, when you see... Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's referring to God the Father. When you see capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that's referring to God the Son. And when you see all lowercase l-o-r-d, that's referring to men that hold a position of mastery. Alright? So look here. Um, and thou, Lord, this is lower o-r-d, capital L. This is a reference to Jesus. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, Hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heaven are the works of thine hands. That's his power. Who created the heavens and the earth? God did. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. They were all involved. By the way, this is a neat little science fact for you. Do you know that when you put fruit or vegetable in your mouth, you are eating sunlight? Sunlight is what provides the growth of that plant. You take away the sunlight, you are taking away the fuel for that fruit or vegetable to be born. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What was the very first thing God created on day one? Light. Light. And that light is what created all of everything else that you see. That's why Jesus is given credit over and over again in John and in other places in the New Testament here in Hebrews as being the creator. Because God created the light, and then the light, God created the light. That doesn't mean he created Jesus at that moment. It means he, put, he allowed the light of Jesus to be there in that space. And Jesus' light created everything else. Look at verse 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? His power over the angels. Turn over to Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1. Almost done here. Now, while you're turning there, I just want to say this. Next week, um, we're going to take what we covered this week and we're going to use it as the foundation to launch into some very practical truths for the Christian, okay. You ever watched? Um, uh, you ever watched a movie and the first twenty-five minutes was kind of a yawner, and then after that it was wham! It was really good. The first, but the rest of the movie wouldn't have been good if the foundation of the movie hadn't been laid. Hebrews one four through fourteen is laying a foundation so that the Christian can be wham told how to live and what to do. Um, uh, in the beginning of chapter 2. I encourage you to study chapter 2 between now and next Wednesday. Psalm 110, look at verse number 1. 
the Lord, notice again the, the, the spelling of the words Lord and Lord here, saith unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's a, a reference back in Hebrews 1, verse 13. God the Father said to God the Son, uh, sit here on my right hand until I bring all of your enemies and bring them under you. Bring them under you. So his power over the angels. Letter E, and lastly notice, his punishment of the iniquitous. His punishment of the iniquitous. Now, um, oddly enough, it almost feels a little out of place, although it's not because God doesn't make any mistakes. We get all this talk about angels and Jesus, how he's better than the angels. And right in the midst of all that talk, we get this, we get this message about how Jesus loves righteousness and hates iniquity and what he's going to do about that. Look at verse 11. Actually, um, yeah, yeah, well, back up to verse, back up to verse number 9. Thou, Hebrews 1, 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the will of gladness of thy fellows. Now, with that in mind, look at verse 11. They shall perish, speaking of the iniquitous, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vexture that shall fold, uh, uh, thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same. God is immutable. Jesus is immutable, meaning he never changes. And thy years shall not fail. Hey, you know what? The iniquitous, those that commit all of that evil wickedness that God hates so much, they're going to grow old. They're going to fold. Jesus is going to fold them up like hot wax. They're going to be punished. But Jesus will never change because integrity will never be flawed. And Jesus will one day punish the, punish the wicked. Sometimes it's hard to wonder how people can do bad things and just seem to get away with it. I promise you one day there is a day of reckoning coming. Someone mistreats you or wrongs you, or you mistreat someone and wrongs someone else. God will make you answer for that. Because he's, he's righteous and he hates iniquity. What's Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 tell us? It says, let me just get over there so I get them all in order here. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. One day God's going to take all those who have not turned from their sin and believed in Christ and he's going to punish them in hellfire for all of eternity. And his righteousness will reign supreme. Question tonight is this. Are you on the winning side? Have you put your faith in Jesus, not in the prophets? Have you put your faith in Jesus, not the saints or the angels? you got to put your faith in Jesus. And that's the key. And if you are, then uh, let God's Word continue to grow you and strengthen your faith as you get to know Him better. I believe to all my friends here this evening, all you here this evening, all you my friends, to all of you here this evening, I'd say this. We all know folks that are Catholic that need the gospel. By coming on Wednesday nights throughout this series, what I hope to do is strongly equip you to sit down and make a strong case out of the Bible to a seeking Catholic on why they need to turn to Jesus and not the prophets and not the angels and not the saints. So continue to come and avail yourself to this. Next week we're going to get into some really nuts and bolts things about the Christian life out of Hebrews chapter 2. I encourage you to jump in and begin studying it as soon as you can. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed.